Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special Father's Day edition of Real Stuff. This week, we have the mighty Dean Mum joining us. What an absolute legend. I'm pumped about it. Dean is a former professional rugby player whose extensive career included 56 caps for the Wallabies, including captaining the national side, over 100 appearances for the New South Wales Waratahs, and three years over in the UK playing for Exeter. Whilst all those achievements are impressive, what's most astounding to me is Dean's character and his resilience on his path to fatherhood. In particular, the advocacy work that he and his wife Sarah are doing with a charity called Born, which is an incredible and important charity which we discuss in detail. Now, due to the intimate nature of this conversation, we do lean into the often confronting topic of loss of life, particularly around preterm birth. And I do want to give you a trigger warning that we're going to lean into that conversation. And as you'll hear, it gets as real as it comes. And it's full of heartbreak and loss, but also incredible joy as Dean lets us in on his journey into navigating the heartbreaking complexities of premature birth. Personally, I think it's so important we all lean into conversations like this to deepen our own awareness and I really acknowledge and I thank Dean for the courage and generosity of sharing his story with us. I'm sure this conversation will educate you, it'll inspire you and most of all, you'll walk away with a deeper sense of gratitude. So with that context, you're up for a very special Father's Day episode and I really hope you enjoy. All right, we are here, Dean. This is very exciting. We've been coordinating this for a little while and you've been an amazing supporter of stuff um, since our yeah, very early days and um, this is a conversation I'm particularly looking forward to and, yeah, really want to underline the word conversation. Like I know um, we were just joking before how as men there are just some topics that we don't often lean into uh, as in conversations with our masculine friends and, yeah, today I'm really, really excited to um, explore more of your story and particularly through the lens, this is a Father's Day special as well. So we're going to go down some some threads there, um, but also just to open up conversations that as two men that we don't often get to have together and full permission to us to get a bit messy and have a few belly laughs through it. And um, yeah, really also just get to know each other at the same time. And one of the things which I, you know, respect deeply about you is your capacity to hold a lot you know and I think that's something that's been consistent in your story for for a very long time and um yeah I'm excited to just unpick that today and and just see where we end up mate so it's a pleasure to have you on the real stuff podcast and this is going to be fun yeah it'll be it'll be great I'm pumped as well because we've been through the hoops to try and get here and we've both yeah like I had COVID for a bit and and whatever happens, people's schedules is um is hectic. But no, it's great. Um, let's let's dive in. I'm happy to take it wherever we go. And um, yeah, I think that you know certainly in, in relation to parenthood, we've got a really unique, maybe interesting journey of of, of getting there as and as a father. And so, um, come Father's Day, you know, let's 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 take a look at it. Mm. And I think what I love most about where we're going to go is that like this is real. You know, it's it's not the polished, pretty side of things. It's like this is this is life, yeah. So let's just start there. I'd love to just hear, you know, well, first of all, just a little bit about how you describe your life story, and then we can go down the, the lens of yeah. yeah it, it's interesting how you like I um I sort of yeah you know, you sent through some stuff and doing a little preparing for this, and I 
I, I had like personal sorry. I, I didn't want to prepare it because I don't know what will come out. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, I suppose I, I'm, uh, yeah, husband, uh, uh, a father, a son, um, you know, some of those traditional labels. I'm a ex-athlete or, or I hate the term ex-athlete because mm. I feel like, you know, like or ex-wallaby is probably one way to do it. But I was like, you know what, you are a Why are you an Olympian and always an Olympian? And but you become an ex-wallaby or an mm. ex-AFL player or, a, you know, like you were and you are and there remains a part of you. So, yeah, athlete it was a, a portion of my life. And then now into into business and uh, co-founder of a, of a charity with my wife, um, trying to work out how that all happens, you know. So, yeah, there's lots of different things going on, yeah, and uh, small-time um, yeah, investor and interested party in, in what you're doing with staff, which mm. I just admire the, the you, know, I, you know, I think there's this inherent interest and curiosity in, in businesses that are, are for purpose, you know, and and how there doesn't – and there's, there's often in life there's like – things either need to be black or white mm. really every, life's great you know mm. like so how do we how do we, businesses can be profitable and um well organized and well run and for purpose why do they have to be completely separated um and the same for your for your life you know like husband and parent so entwined so all all those factors for me are all i'm melded like i'm yeah, maybe like this response is a bit of a mess mm. but um yeah, there are there are a few things that, that I hold, um, and but there's a lot of satisfaction across those. And I think for for me, as particularly as I've moved from that space of being a professional athlete and super focused on performance as as you know, as your sense of satisfaction into life beyond that, I've tried to keep myself really broad, deliberately because I, I feel like I probably can't replace that emotional and physical and mental engagement on one solo feature. And so that's kind of why I sit pretty broad, I think. Well, what I hear is you're an expert generalist. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, you're a proud generalist, yeah. I think, as well. I, I'm, I'm not a crazy detail person. Yeah. And so generalist suits me. I like big picture. I like – I really get pumped by blue sky thinking. Yeah. You know, and how do, how do you – how do you embrace that as a as a role as well? Which I'm trying to work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, no, I think the beauty of that is that like you're curious as well. You know, it's like you're not locking into one particular thing and going that is the one avenue to my true north. It's like actually life is this beautiful selection of opportunities to explore and unpack and get messy and learn more about myself in the process of this whole adventure we're on. Totally. You remember like uh, remember when you leave school and you go wow there's a lot out here. When did you start uni or yeah. whatever whatever vocational or non-vocational activity you take on work or whatever and you go wow there's plenty on. Um and, but, yeah, for me it was like one institution from the schooling would replace in a sense with another one with sport. Mm. And so actually leaving sports like, wow, there's a bit on out here. Yeah. You know, which is, can be massively overwhelming, I suppose, if you if you get daunted by it. But also super exciting. Like mm. how exciting was the first couple of years out of school? Yeah. yeah like, oh, I can, do, I can literally do that. Or, you know, now I'm like, li- I can literally train not to feel sore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
revolutionary concept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the liberation right yeah, there. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you know, I think some people coming out of a professional context or any context that I think has taken a lot of people's time in their life, we are creatures of habit. So that becomes what we know, becomes what we're conditioned to. And then when there's this kind of big open space, it can be liberating, but it can be incredibly scary at the same time, depending on how you choose to engage with it. Um, You're someone who's kind of, I guess, like always had some sense of balance is from what I can sense. Is that something that's natural to you or was it role modeled to you to know that, okay, my identity as a professional athlete is um, not solely a professional athlete. You know, there's more to my character and who I am than just, you know, rocking up and playing that 80 minutes week in, week out. How did you, how did you just develop, I guess, that range in, in your identity? Yeah, I, I think develops probably the right word because mm. I don't think it's a natural state because certainly early on when I was trying to balance studying at uni and playing um, rugby or you know, in that young pathway, I didn't get the balance right at all and I was yeah. a horrible student. Mm. <laughs> like don't look at my transcript. <laughs> Any future employers, please don't, <laughs> please don't look at my transcript. But, you know, um, and, and it takes it takes a long time. And, it, and a bit like a, a passion, you know, you don't go and go, oh, I'm super passionate. Well, I don't. Um, it's you got to develop your passion. And mm. so therefore you've got to almost give yourself permission to develop your balance as well. And it takes, takes a really long time for me to get that balance right. So at the back end of my sporting career, I could balance um, study and I could um, maybe balance, you know, like um, – you know, relationship with my wife and um, whatever factor and whatever else I wanted to get out of um, life, you know, f- for, you know, food and cooking or whatever that is. And all these things would, would just form into one and actually become quite central to your performance in the chosen, mm. the chosen field. And for me, that was rugby, you know, but um, I almost needed it as well because if you become myopic, there's a huge you know, as you say, there's a there's huge value in being myopic in your view. So you can focus and get really detailed on what you need to do. But how do you get the perspective in there as well? Because that perspective is a balance to then go, oh, is that really what I want to do or is that what I've always just done? Mm. You know, and so I think, you know, like my career, I suppose, particularly in Australia was – there was two times I played for the Wallabies and I had four and a half years break between the middle mm. and – um, the second period was so, so rewarding because I was not nearly as myopic as I was in the first time. Yeah. So the first time it, it sort of came quickly, you know, I was really fortunate in the journey, had opportunities all the way through, like someone might be injured, you got your start, um, lucky enough to take it. And then, you know, before you know it, you're playing, in, you're playing against England and Twickenham and you're fulfilling a, a dream. And you're like, wow, that came quick. And, you know, but the second time around, I'd, I'd been away, I'd seen, um, you know, we'd had this sort of personal trauma in between, but second time around, just loved it, mm. you know, like, and it was so rewarding because you actually knew, you knew what it was to not have it. And yeah. so without that, without that sort of, with, you know, with that, it's the yin and yang, isn't it? Yeah. With, with the darkness, you see the light and yeah. vice versa. So it's... um. It was, it was, it's really fascinating. That for me, so balance is almost, in a certain way, it was, 
it was almost forced on you as well. Yeah. Like life forces balance on you if you if you don't choose to take it as well. And and for me, there was certainly there was some some big trauma which maybe we'll touch on later. That was like, yeah, here's some perspective for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, life, as we all know, who's listening will humble you. And I think we've been particularly fortunate to grow up in just a time in history where, um, or just a small pocket in history where there hasn't, in our context anyway, like in compared to the rest of the world, like we haven't had as much trauma as like the world previously. And then when trauma does come upon us, it's like, what, where does this come from? Like I haven't been exposed to this, but we only need to go back, you know, a few generations to, you know, think about the life stage that that context of humanity lived in. Mm. And, you know, I think now we're at what I'll kind of describe as like a meta crisis where we've got these big cultural tectonic plates like hitting together with like whether it's, you know, Russia and Ukraine, climate change, the mental health challenges we're getting um, all the way to the lack of, I think, leadership we're getting and how we treat, you know, our most marginalised and First Nations communities as well. It's like all of these things are happening at once and I think people are starting to just kind of wake up a bit you know and coming back to that earlier thread you said around um like working on something that's meaningful you know and like having purpose and yes it can have commercial output but like purpose i think covid has kind of woken that up in a lot of people and that is a funny thing about whether you call it trauma or adversity is it it does cause us to shift our perspective and that's a thread i just love to open up with you like I think what I yeah really hear in your story is like you really kind of went through and um, like the I guess the path like you followed the path all the way through from like schoolboys you know being a great performer in rugby you know all the way up you did the things and then to step away and life to really humble you and but then to come back with this newfound perspective um, and appreciation and gratitude like that's a pretty remarkable narrative in and of itself. It's really the hero's journey, actually, as we talk about it is um, exactly what that is. So let's open that up if you feel comfortable. Is like what when you talk about the perspective and the respective trauma, like what what's the story there? Yeah, so I mean our story and a lot of the, you know, adverse conditions or traumatic events, mm. to be fair, they were traumatic events. Um, let's not beat around the bush. Um, but it was about having a family for us. So when I first went to the UK, we, um, we, as in my wife, Sarah and I were, um, pregnant with our first child, um, and we're moving overseas and we did in about three months after we went overseas, we lost Sophie, um, at 20, she was 21 weeks, um, which, you know, you know, in your first pregnancy, you, it's just roses mm. you know, and it's it's fantastic it's such a great feeling um but no one sort of tells you and maybe because it's a bit scary about what can happen and so um around the gestation of babies if a baby's born before 24 weeks there's really no chance of, of survival and if they do survive the chance of disability are enormous um and really a baby to survive in terms of lungs you really want to be at sort of 28 weeks gestation and then every literally every day matters you know between 24 and 28 weeks like every day is a two percent increase in survival like that's wow massive and at 28 weeks as well you can survive because your lungs are strong enough but still the chances of physical mental disability is still really quite high so you really like 
um, full term for babies is 37 weeks. And I appreciate this is not a baby podcast, but it's relevant no, to, it's, my, yeah. to my story. Yeah. So we lost Sophie at 21 weeks and um, in a super shocking you know, mm. way to sort of be in a hospital and um, for, for your wife to have to deliver the child that has no chance of survival is fucking horrible, mm. to be honest. Like there is, I don't know if there's a worse feeling than something that should be full, that something that is life is, is not possible. You know, and, and the, the, you know, like, but it's, it's weird, hey, like it's really weird because this is like strange calm after mm. that where you get to like hold a child who is incredibly perfectly well formed at 21 weeks but just can't leave, yeah. you know, and it, it's still your child, yeah. you know. So broaden out, like unfortunately for us that wasn't our one time at mm. that journey and so about 18 months later we sort of, um, you know, and what you do when you have something like this, you reflect on it and you're like, well, what, how do I fix it next time around? Mm. And so we go, went through that journey of how to fix it, how to minimise the risk in, in taking it forward. And then about eight months later, we had um, a son, Henry, at 28 weeks. Um, and we thought, yeah, right. So we're, we're a shot at, uh, at him surviving, him coming through. And he did. Um, in, yeah, but just in the – that sort of birth – it's like we've never experienced well we have subsequently but it's not a calming space Mm. you think oh yeah like always you think about you watch the movies all right so yeah waters break boom off we go we're into there got to get further car bring all the bag and move on but for 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 a person that has a preterm birth and you know there's 15 million of them a year so wow we're not alone yeah you know um that is a highly stressful environment when you see your baby's heart rate fluctuating mm. and you know and, you know, the reality is that subsequently what we learn that the, the moment that preterm labour starts, there's nothing medically they can do and that hasn't changed for 50 years. Wow. You know, so they, they literally can't, they can't turn off labour once it starts. Yeah. So once you're in that shoot, it's about either prolonging that or you have to deal with the consequences coming. And it's really, really confronting. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, it, you know, if you're at home and something happens and you're at 28 weeks and you need to go in, chances are within, within a day or two, you're going to have to deliver a baby that's going to, that's going to struggle in its first couple of days of life, you know, and it's tough. And so we had a, um, we had Henry at 28 weeks and Henry came out but it's, it, you don't get to hold your child your child gets whipped away and and they get these like lines chucked into them and they try and put like tubes down their throat it's really really traumatic yeah. you know and then shift away and then you, you get to the first time you get to meet your child through is in NICU or neonatal intensive care and hold their hand but you can never hold them it's really hard it's really hard for that child yeah you know, and then, but then Henry, sadly, the chances of infection are incredibly high at that age because you have no immune system. And so Henry died of an um, infection nine days later. And so all those journeys, ups and downs yeah. throughout that period of time. But again, like, it's probably one of the sweetest moments of my life <laughs> is holding Sarah and I getting to hold Henry because he was so sick. Mm. He was so sick he couldn't, he was going to die. 
but it was the first time we got to hold him. Yeah. You know, and we got to sing and, and sit and hold him as he died. Like, fuck, it breaks your heart. But what a beautiful moment, yeah. you know. Like if, if, if anyone is going to die, to be died in your parents' arms, that's, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so like, so that's, yeah, that was us, you know, before, you know, again, it was another two years later or so when we had Alfie, our, our son, who's now six. Yeah. And um, how good. Yes. <laughs> like what a week that was, you know. Um, so I had Alfie and then three days later I captained the Wallabies. Like it was just, <laughs> you're like, boom, what a week. Yeah, wow. so without the darkness you can't see the light. Absolutely. But, yeah, and for, and it's, I mean, I don't know if you want me to keep going as well, but we've got, another, we've got chapter yeah. three as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Anyway, you know, like we have Alfie and, and he's he's great. Mm. You know, he's awesome and comes through and he's healthy and gets to come home. Like, wow, getting to bring a child home. Yeah. So good. Oh, amazing. Yeah. What were those times like? Because obviously, you know, the first two experiences are very, you know, as edgy as it gets, right? There's a parent and then bringing Alfie home. What was that experience like for you? So good. <laughs> <laughs> Ironic, we were in London though, and um, it was during the 2015 World Cup, and uh, and no, I just sort of because I I sort of I wasn't there for oh to to chase the dream of World Cup. We got a very amazing wife to even allow me to do this, considering what we've been through. Yeah, but to chase the dream of the World Cup, I had to come home to Australia and leave her in the UK. Mm. Um, and so I didn't see her for the last four months of that pregnancy which our pregnancies are highly anxious yeah you know but we had amazing obstetrician there in in the uk who had this ability to to calm nerves like someone i've never seen wow what a skill as an obstetrician and um terrific bloke too and anyway but we happened to be in per in bar sorry and uh, we just played the first World Cup game a, a couple of days before against Fiji and Wales and then came back to Bath because something a couple of hours away and that was our sort of training centre. And, and then Sarah rang me at like, oh, what was it? Probably about 4 a.m. in the morning and she's like, we're on here. And Bath's an hour and a half away from London. Yeah. So you're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, and, and, and Sarah's very organised and, and she was like, she'd already, her waters had broken like yeah. midnight. So she'd already had a couple of hours to, work on work on this is the you know and she's like um i, I can see there's not a train until 6 a.m um but you, could you get a train down and hopefully and i was like yeah fuck the train yeah, yeah i don't need to be there yeah and so i i, I was like we the strangest moment i was sitting there in this like hotel in bar talking to the night manager about my options to get to london because my wife was having a yeah. baby it's <laughs> like what <laughs> and anyway i rang the uh rang the team manager and the team manager and i had this really fantastic journey mm. over an hour and a half driving to deliver yeah to, to deliver alfie but to take him home um well, to be fair, I wasn't even there because I went away and then played again. But for Sarah to take him home is, you know, when you have a, uh, when we had Sophie and Henry, you became parents, but you never get, to, you never got to do any parenting. Yeah. And so to move and take Alfie home was to take this step towards being to parenthood, you know, to the action of parenting 
rather than you know we'd had we had all the anxiety and mm. all the negativity without the positivity as such so to take him home was pretty bloody daunting like to any person that first night at home but when you've got a little baby that is like incredibly dear to you yeah. then it's it can equally be quite anxious but as you go and as you do in time you learn and you learn your steps and you move forward it becomes a really um yeah the beauty of, of, of actually the things we've been through in terms of, you know, like this concept of almost post-traumatic growth and the yeah. things that you get from from bad episodes in life is that you don't take a, a moment for granted yeah. with your children, which is great. <laughs> what a gift. Mm. Yeah, like it is, it is amazing. Like even though they can be little turds and uh, <laughs> you're like you get incredibly frustrated, but still at the end of the day you go in and you're like, absolute gift yeah you know which is which is a, which is bloody nice yeah yeah you know, to start of your child's life to have that moving forward with them that's that's a nice place to be absolutely know? and i think you know as a child would feel that extra love you know not even extra love but just that like channeling of how special you value them you know and mm. alfie would feel that like it would he would know how incredibly special he is right and as he gets older and older that'll get deeper and deeper, which, you know, really sets him up for this brilliant life trajectory, irrespective of life happening to him and humbling him as no doubt will happen and however it happens. But to have that embedded in the unconditional love of him is really quite profound and special. Yeah, I think so. Well, hopefully. He might, yeah. he might get, yeah, might be too stuffy for him. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, get back away. Up, back yeah. off, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, get out of my grill. I suppose what's fascinating about our journey is, and, mm. and about life too, and you can use it in a in a sporting context as well. Is you think you've had your worst day mm. until you have another one that's worse. You know, you know, in a, in a sporting context, that you think you've had your hardest session until you had a harder one. Yeah, and you're like, but the beauty of going through the pre the hardest sessions beforehand to remain on the physical front is that you know you can get through the next one. Yeah. And yes, this is hard. And yes, this is really bloody horrible when I'm in the midst of it. Mm. But I can get through. And it's it's like this concept of mental, that's mental toughness v resilience. It's the ability to, resilience is like, yeah, you know, like I will make, I just make it through. I just make it through. But mental toughness is this ability to almost have control through those moments, you know. And so... That's actually strangely enough in terms of perspective I got from those experiences was it's like that's a bad day. Mm. Like fuck, yeah. the, one of the worst days. Yeah. And then you get dosed up with Henry again, which is even more traumatic. And then we had twins, Ella and Grace, and yeah, all three of them were for different reasons mm. why – the preterm birth. And the only reason all of the children passed away is because they were born just too soon. Like if they were kept in the womb for longer, their chances of survival is high. So there was a trigger on labour and just because of the age of that gestation is the reason why the children die. So that sort of feeds into why we do the charity. But Ellen Grace was the worst day I've ever had. Mm. Like far, yeah, by far and away. And you're like, oh, man, yeah, again. Yeah, and it's so easy to roll into that victim mentality in with some of the yeah shit sandwiches we've had to chew. But here, Ella and Grace were born at twenty weeks, and um, yes, yeah, Sarah almost died. Like Sarah was literally bleeding out on on the table, and I've got 
Ella in my hand, um, and is, is she and you, babies are twenty weeks? They can live for yeah. about, and she lived for about fifteen minutes. But it, all those fifteen minutes was in my arms, mm. which is again like it's yeah. amazing, isn't it? That all of your daughter's life was in your arms, um, but wow. Sarah's bleeding out while we're trying to deliver Grace, and so the trauma, like yeah. fuck. I don't know if I've even really deal, dealt with it, but I yeah. can talk about it. But it's like there's like 15 nurses and doctors in this room giving transfusions, like there's two obstetricians, there's people on heart monitor. Like, man, it is all happening. And I'm sitting there with my daughter and holding my wife's hand as she bleeds out. Like, bad day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, and that's – but is that – I don't know. Is that not life? Like you yep. think you got a bad day and then – Wow, another one's coming. Mm. But you know, again, there's this calm in in the space after, which you know when you're like you're sitting there, and for us, we're sitting there with two of our daughters there, mm. and perfectly formed, beautiful little things with their little beanies on, and it's so sweet, you know, and and that's just but that's just your moment yeah. with your family, yeah. No one else is there. That's yours. And, man, that memory will never go, mm. you know. And so but yeah, the, actually strangely enough, coming out of that worst day was much easier because we'd been through the previous two. Yeah. You know, so like trauma is like is, <laughs> trauma is shit, yeah. you know, and, but it, it builds this mm. sort of capability to get through whatever comes next. So I don't know whatever else anyone that's listening – Everyone, no one misses out on mm. trauma. Yeah, you just don't. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know what form it is, but the reality is, you probably will. The likelihood is that you will get through. Yeah, and the result of you getting through will mean that you are better and more capable to get through whenever you come through that next one. Yeah, you know, and you know if yeah, like that's that's kind of the reflection on our journey that mm. I've had, and. We, at the end now we've got Rupert and Rupert came to 30, he got Rupert all the way to 37 weeks, a little man. Mm. And so we've now got two beautiful boys. Mm. So, yeah, maybe that caps off the the journey for us in mm. terms of having a family. But, the yeah, as you can, the boots are well and totally tied up yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. on our family journey and it's it's been quite, quite some journey, yeah. Man, I'll just take a moment just to let that sink and slow down because that was, you know, just I want to honor you actually like just the openness to sharing that with me and anyone listening and your journey inside of that is more I think more of an emotional roller coaster than most people will experience in their life and for you to sit here so openly and compassionately and with such a level of like real like deep deep I use the word king energy, which is like the ability to access your higher self to reflect back that although it was fucking horrible, there is still brilliance and divinity and goodness and peace inside of it too. And yeah, it's just a real honor to witness that story, man. So thank you so much. I don't want to let that moment be passed. And yeah, I think it's a real reflection of your character. You know, the ability, as I said at the beginning, you know, for whatever reason in this lifetime that, you know, the path you are walking is a path that holds a lot. You know, everything, you know, we can talk about captaining the wallabies. That's pretty fucking cool. But, you know, this is life. You know, Mm -hmm. this is bringing life into the world and 
you know, supporting your partner through some of the most challenging things that have ever happened and likely ever will happen. And it's a sacred experience. It's a really sacred experience. And those moments of stillness and calm that you're referring to is like that's my sense is that's some of the most magical moments that'll ever be. Yeah, they really are. A hundred percent. And it's also funny that, um, you know, like, yeah, like it's funny to think the benefit can come from those things, Yeah, you know, and it's someone offers you like, man, the whole reason we have subsequently gone on to sort of found our charity, which is into the research, yeah, you know, the prevention of preterm birth is so others don't have to go through it. You know, and, and that's the whole motivator. It's so easy to get motivated by that. Yeah. And but the irony is like that's our journey and, and there's actually been strangely some positives at it. Like without going through that, you don't start that charity and yeah. meet the, the amazing researchers that are doing space that are, you know, we, our perception is they're underfunded. Yeah. And, you know, then but you know, I've also, you know, been on an amazing adventure to the North Pole as a result of that. And, you know, and more than any, like we spoke about, don't take our children for granted. Yeah. Like the massive positives that yeah. come from it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, you only really get it by reflecting on it, but yeah, certainly not there in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just, again, though, not everyone goes through, a, you know, extreme trauma or adversity and chooses to turn that into a growth moment, you know, or growth movement actually in your circumstance and the work that you were doing with your charity will we'll get into that. But, yeah, that's also just – I just want to give you that. Like that's that actually is not common, you know. It, it is it – is, it does take enormous um, – just I, I use the word character, right? Because there's no script of character. Character we find out when things are really fucking hard and we have to work out who we are and how we show up and there's no rule book. You're just basically acting from gut or instinct and values actually at the same time. It's like that's all you've got left because it's been stripped away. How do we move through this day by day? And the fact that you know, you're choosing to mobilize what you've experienced to bring better like – experiences more life more support into really as you said underfunded and uh, an area where people don't have the levels of awareness that likely they should is really something quite special so just reflecting on that um yeah we'd love to just hear about the the work that you're doing with the charity and the other thing i just want to reflect back to you as we kind of go down that thread in a moment is you know I'm on this journey of like, I didn't grow up being very spiritual. Like I just didn't. I was like, oh no, I can't say God, not real. Like, but just through life experiences now, I'm like, there's in my worldview, there's definitely some things happening that I can't in my logical brain try and explain. And I'm just now starting to surrender to it. And one of the things that has really resonated with me recently is that like, for whatever reason, life always gives us what do we what we can handle, you know? And, and I just reflect that back to you. It's like, you're in my experience like you're walking this path in partnership with your extraordinary wife doing this role that is creating so much good for so many people and children to come and i think that's like that for me if i put on like rungs of like 
leadership and you know amazing things to achieve in your life like yeah captain in the australian wallabies is great you know like we we idolize that particularly in australian culture but if we think about impact and legacy and significance you know for me the path that you're charging now like that is a path that i look at with like complete awe and appreciation and inspiration so i just wanted to reflect that back to you i don't know if you've ever yeah, thought about you. that uh, yeah i mean it's one of those things hey like <laughs> to, to, well, you sort of move on, don't you? Like you, you always like you always get yeah. What's next? Yeah. So you you keep doing that. I think that's the that's the that's the changeover from sport, mm. you know. And what sport is from my personal, maybe I didn't know any other way. Yeah. You know. So um, and also like I didn't nail everything in there. Yeah. Like was I as supportive as I could have been throughout that period? Like I st- still would go off to, to rugby every day and. There's things I look back and, I mean, I could have done much better, mm. you know. So it's, it's important to say like, yes, there's this hero's journey, but it's like hero is not always – Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, not a, yeah. it's not a perfect story, you know, because there's there's things in there and there's there's always – you're always grappling with things as a result of that as well. And that's perfectly yeah. – I think perfectly natural. Yeah. And I, you know, also sort of may, maybe to say that – it is fine yeah. to still have concerns and worries and, and all those things along the journey. Um, but I think fortunately enough from sport, you're like, well, what's kind of what's next? Yeah. And I was in this conditioned mode to go, righto, that's a loss. And, you know, I don't, I'm not meaning to diminish the loss of the child in any sense, but that's a loss and it's a pretty bad loss. But how do we then step forward? Like let's review – what's going on but then how do you step forward from there and mm. i'm sure in periods there i wasn't necessarily as empathetic as I, I could have been but i was trying to survive yeah and so trying to move on and deal with it in the way that i sort of knew and understood and that was like how mm. do we move to the next game yeah yeah well, that know. was also your train literally your training yeah yeah literally totally. your training that you applied in you know the life context what was it like witnessing um sarah's you know, strength and, you know, courage throughout this journey. Yeah, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. S- strongest person I know, <laughs> without a doubt. I mean, anyone that has any father that's been through, um, again, not something we readily talk about as men, any any father that's seen their wife go through um, just having child full stop in full-term birth and, you know, baby gets, that is an amazing, amazing powerful person yeah (laughs) Yeah, like such an amazing experience and what women go through with uh women's health and pregnancy and whatever else that's wrapped up in your journey to having children amazing people yeah you know and 100 to be admired but you know sarah's ability to keep going under the weight of insurmountable challenge uh, physical mental and the anxiety of our pregnancies like I would be in there, but the difference for me is I could leave mm. and distract myself with whatever was going on. Sarah was in that all the time mm. and kept going yeah. and would would front up to everything that was required of her and to research and to, you know, like amazing, amazing strength. But the funny thing is, you know, like is, is just the ability to, to give yourself you know, to recognize that you are that strong is very difficult. Wow. You know? Yeah. Because all you see is is the 
is the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of challenges. Like, yeah. yeah, again, you sort of build up, you learn a little bit more about what you've been through last time. And so your awareness and understanding of a topic grows. And so, you know, like ignorance is bliss mm. sometimes mm. when it comes to things that are anxiety creating. And so we were so aware at the back end. And we had some amazing people, like this incredible obstetrician yeah. here in Sydney who was so, so good to us um, and could relieve the anxiety, but then it just grows. Yeah. And so amazing. Sarah is amazing. And, you know, big shout out <laughs> yeah. to, to her for being yeah. incredibly strong because, you know, we certainly wouldn't have a family without her strength. Yeah. Unbelievable. <clears throat> just like uh, complete, yeah, in awe. Of, of her and and women generally yeah just women full yeah, stop definitely. bloody amazing probably at the podcast now, yeah. to be honest like <laughs> um, no but really yeah I think the the creation of life in you know, I just reflect on my you know even my upbringing as a young man like it, we just want taught this you know just the brilliance and the literally the creation of life right and you know that experience in childbirth being there at this kind of like this moment of like entering into the physical world is like that's as like profound as it literally gets that's you know? a sacred sacred moment whenever you know yeah. it is yeah um yeah and it's it's yeah and i i think also i mean i think the thing that's really interesting and imagine something that you um you get as well particularly from doing this like that sort of talking about it actually sometimes is you know it's obviously good mm. for it's obviously good to talk about it from yeah. a mental point of view but when you sort of lead out with that vulnerability and talk about this i get to hear people's stories that they may not have talked about yeah because you don't you know like when i meet someone and they say how many kids you got i say i got two boys mm. but i got six children mm. You know, but I don't want to burden them yeah. with the trauma of, yeah, four of them died. Yeah. And they're like, ah. Where do I go? <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what do you do with that? But then if and if the if the safety of the environment is, is, is there and I can talk about it, then people will tell me their story. And yeah. what a – how good is that? Yeah. That, that's an amazing blessing. Yeah. You know, like to get someone to be able to talk about something that is that – is, deep man and that is ne normally wrapped up in some some serious sort of um you know like that's you know like that's the sort of we've wrapped that up in that chernobyl core like yeah wrap that up in steel and we yeah. don't really want to see that again yeah and sometimes they let that out yeah like that's great yeah you know and like, you must see that as well Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, it's often I find is most people are just waiting to feel psychologically safe because, you know, this is how we connect. Like, you know, it's like the world has gone away, you know, right now we're just in this little vortex where we're having this conversation. But that's the, you know, the thing about vulnerability or authenticity is it just, like I've said this before on this podcast, but I got this, my mate described it as like, um, like authenticity changes the particles in the room. Like we just lean in, like it's like we don't know why, but we lean in and it's something I think because it is so pure and sacred and it's just, it's almost our energies exchanging with one another and our words are just kind of <laughs> doing the, yeah, the bit, you know? Right. Yeah, it's like the, 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 they start to hum yeah. in the right, you know, balance or whatever it is. That's know? it, yeah. And, and I think when, and that's the thing around, you know, the power of storytelling, you know, we were saying before like we, 
or like we are very much an oral species, right? That's something stories of how we've learned f- since the dawn of time. And it's only like relatively recent that we start to write things down. But like when I'm hearing a story, like I'm feeling you, I'm going on the journey and my imagination is in play as I'm watching it all unfold. And, you know, I think when we have the space to lead with something that is quite vulnerable, we give the permission to others that it's okay to do that too. And it activates something in us, mm. you know, when we feel like, oh, I can share my story too. And that's one of the most profound things about the human experience is yeah. our, our inner worlds. Totally. And, 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 and also binding with people. Yeah. You know, like then you're connected. Yeah. And that, and you don't know what that connection is, like what you're talking about. We, like you yeah. don't know where that is or how it sits. But there, i got a mate who um, is in the UK who had a similar experience with his first child, Freddie, mm. and – that we're now bound. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it's really interesting that um, and, and sort of, you know, we went to the North Pole. We don't see each other until maybe when we're going to Costa Rica later this year, but it doesn't matter. We're connected. Yeah. You know, and I remember him, someone, I was having a chat to him once and someone came up to him and he goes, oh, and he's like, well, how do you know each other? And he goes, oh, we just got a special connection. Mm. You know, and, and you only get it by yeah. telling the story and connecting on uh, on a level that's beyond yeah. like the, the introducing speak. Yeah. You know, and um, it's really great when you get it. Like that's that's powerful cohesion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, that's the lived experience of like we've walked somewhat of a similar path and I can learn from you and you can learn from me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, and, and inside of this is interesting around like male friendships as well. It's like, you know, we, we were kind of joking beforehand around like how often do guys sit down and have these conversations if they aren't necessarily with like a few beers or, you know, a couple, you know, a few hours into the night. Um, but what I think is happening now, and I really, really believe this, and we see this through Man Cave as well, working with teenage boys, and hopefully now with stuff as we're kind of like democratizing conversations like this, is like like these are the conversations as men that not just we need to have, but like we get to have now. You know, but it's a muscle. Because I definitely didn't grow up talking like this with a lot of my male friends. I love them so deeply, but like I've had to like hone this muscle to to work out how to do it and fumble through it. And sometimes I've overshared or sometimes I've undershared or I've said the wrong thing in the moment. And it really is a practice. Yeah. Is this like with your story, like how, yeah, how, how do you go about choosing the moments that you feel comfortable enough to share it? Is there, is there like a, is it an intuitive thing for you or how do you yeah. navigate it? Ironically, the, the moments that I share the most are sometimes the most public. Yeah. You know, because, you know, when it is that you're on a stage or there's something in front of you, conceptually, microphone, whatever it is, um, somehow um, you can almost separate yourself from yeah. it. But when you're in a one or one or a group of mates, tight mates, it's very intimate. Yeah. You know, and it's almost harder to take yourself into that space, even though, like, they're your, they're your best mates. You know, and but equally, like, if it's hard for me to do it, it's very hard for the other person to do it as well. You know, unless you sort of and you sort of talk about saying this is a safe space, or mm. if you're in trouble, give me a yell. But I don't know how often that happens when someone's in, yeah, in in the shit, yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, and, and I sort of conceptually know who I would call, yeah. If if you know, like, I mean, a period of of suicidality or whatever it is 
conceptually I know, but do I make that call? Mm. You know, and I don't know whether you do. And that's why that's the importance of, of independent offerings out there to yeah. be able to provide a, a choice. Yeah. You know, but it's an interesting concept and one I'm sort of for you and maybe we touched on it but there is like, but after, after leaving sport and, and we, talk, we spoke about it earlier, but you had 30 people around you the whole time. And, um, you know, you've got inner groups within that where you're tied to those group, that those guys and the 30, but generally the 30 guys going in the same direction, you're all committed to the same goal and same purpose. Not a bad start for yeah. friendship, yeah. you know. But when you leave that environment, I, you know, I almost had to reintroduce myself to my friends from, from school who are now my still remain my best mates. And because we've had 10, 12 yeah. years of completely different experience. Yeah. And the growing in that period from 25 or from you know, 21 to 33 is for me, it was massive. Yeah. It's a big period of growth in your life. So how, yeah, I'm still, how do you, how do you be a great mate? Mm. You know, like, and yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be taught that? As well? yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, I talked about this a little bit with Zach Seidler from Movember on the podcast is like this male friendships are so, so important and also really rare. Like, um, yeah, the statistic behind this is like over 30% of men like aged 30 and onwards, over 30% are, sorry, one in three people or 30% are actually satisfied with the quality of their friendships. So only one in three people. So mm. two, you know, 60 odd percent of people are not satisfied with the quality of their male friendships. And, and I think that is because there's like the training ground has not been deep and intimate and honest and vulnerable conversations. And it's like, okay, well, well, if we know that statistic, we also know our lived experience kind of matches up to that statistic. It's mm -hmm. like, well, well, now what? And that's what I think is like real interesting because I've like had to go on this journey with myself too going, I'm similar to you. Like I'm like, oh, you know, even in the work I'm doing and, uh, you know, I've had to learn a lot of things and embody a lot of things. But like there was definitely a period of my life when things were really hard. I would just suppress it and try and move on. But like I ended up just carrying that with me. And it got to a point where I was like, oh, I can't keep doing this. Like it's it's impacting not just me but other people. And I think that's like this this challenge for people but in particular this context men is like how do we create a rhythm of opportunities with our friendships to actually just open up and share really openly and vulnerably where we're at. It doesn't have to be all the time, but like what does it look like to almost like the training for sport, right? So you have game day, but it's like this is like the training for life. And it's not about, you know, if things are going on, you you know, in your life that are really hard that your first step should be see a psychologist. It's like maybe that's the step, but maybe it's actually just a, a practice with your friendship group. You know, how do we how do we all know what's going on in each other's inner worlds? How do we practice the art of deep conversations? But also inside of that, how do we practice the art of just listening? Mm. Like, because that's the other part that's just so often taught. And that's why when I think about like, you know, are you okay day coming up? I'm like, that's an awesome first start. But what happens when someone says, no, I'm not? You know, and you're like, fuck. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. Um, and, then, you know, for anyone listening, like I think the, the golden rule I always take is when in doubt, be authentic. It's like, you know, if you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. Mm. You know, but it's a practice at the same time. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts like growing up, you know, obviously in a pretty masculine environment for, for rugby as well. It's like how yeah yeah well just what are your thoughts on that really yeah yeah i mean i think it's interesting i mean i think the um 
think the idea of practice is a really interesting, like it's a key term mm. um, as in you don't get better at something you don't practice doing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the interesting, I think what I've realized lately and what, what we're trying to do as a group of mates and we're only just starting um, is catch up every six weeks um, and, and one of them, yeah, the, the easiest way to do that is to go in and throw some beers in there and you have a conversation. You only remember the first 30% of yeah, the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is, yeah, how do we then offset that with conversation? You know, and so do we limit it to only ever three beers? Mm. Or um, or do we do it in the morning as well? And, you know, like so can we catch up every six weeks to get into the rhythm of finding out what's going on in there? each other's lives because otherwise you know we've all got kids and you just don't see your mates Mm. you know which then to be fair is one you don't know what's going on in their lives it's really hard to be inauthentic without some sort of continuity yeah um but also just then it it also just leaves you without options Mm -hmm. on who to talk to i think yeah you know and so that you know, let alone, you know, the other side of what I'm thinking is it's much easier to talk if there's also some framework that you're all sort of aware yeah. of. You know, like if you go and see someone, um, you know, and to be fair, I haven't seen a psychologist, I'm quite keen to go see one, is like imagine but when you speak to a sports psych I can mm. talk to, they'll give you a framework in which to review and let, you know, a lens to which to view your history. And it becomes far easier for you to talk to about yeah. that. So I don't know what that framework is, but it's yeah. like, um, you know, I've been to one or two dinners with my mates where there's sort of ten of us, and we just have to stop the dinner and say, "What? Well, yeah, like how how are you going? Yeah, give us a minute, yeah, nice. just to tell us what's happening. Yeah, and I've been in those conversations. I didn't even know that my mate's dad had had cancer. Mm. You know, like no idea. Yeah. I've been mates with this guy since I was eight. I'm now 38. Yeah. You know, didn't know. Yeah. And you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. And and why weren't you comfortable enough to say, and that's not my position to maybe question that, but yeah. have we facilitated that as an option? Yeah. You know, and um, mm. it's, it's not easy, you know. Yeah. It's also, I mean, maybe it's okay that it's not easy. Maybe okay we recognize that it's not easy to, to understand. And maybe it's completely fine to acknowledge that I really don't know how to nail this. Yeah. I um, Just on that thread, I have um, a, a bunch of guys in uh, Melbourne who all work in like the CBD, work like, you know, kind of big finance jobs, um, lost a mate to suicide. And um, they every year run like a lunch, which um, basically – they get together and it's to raise money and they choose Man Cave as their charity of choice that they want to give some money to, which is bloody awesome. And I remember the first lunch I went to um, with them. I think it was the – they'd done it the year before but the, I was like the second year they'd invited me as the speaker. And uh, I think the first lunch was a massive boozy piss up and, you know, as the night rolled on, it rolled on. And I had no context to that. So I just kind of came in and and just kind of shared a little bit about why I do what I do. But the first thing I got them to do was turn to the person next to them, sit down for two minutes and the person with like the longest hair would go first. And they had uh, two minutes just to share the answer to the question, how are you? And so, you know, two minutes can be a really long, mm-hmm. harrowing time when, you know, you're used to filling in the silence with small talk. And within two minutes, half of the room was crying, you know, 50 men sitting there, 25 of them, you know, just opening up 
and then just tears in the room because I hadn't actually slowed down to feel what was going on. And I kind of checked in with the group at halftime or halfway in it and I was like, how are you guys going? And they were like, I feel quite free. Like I didn't know I could talk like this. And I'm like, yeah, all you needed was some random bloke to give you permission to <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah. or speak for two minutes. Yeah. And, you know, what came out of it that day was, you know, one guy going, you know, I've sat opposite this guy for 17 years. We've been on family holidays together and I've just learned more about him in two minutes than 17 years of our entire friendship. And it's, it is this weird thing. It's like this, like this permission sometimes needs to be given. And then I think this is this, you know, we talk about emerging masculinity, like who are the leaders we look to? What are the qualities? I do think this new trait of like leaning in to stop the conversation at dinner and be like, all right, we're having the banter. We're going to go one minute, you know, just how are you as deep as you want to go? And if you need a bit of extra time, we're happy to give you a bit of extra time. Like I, I really like that I'm starting to see more of that, but it also it's, it's tricky too because it's not in the cultural norm for so many of us too. So it's like how do you begin? And, and I think you just begin by starting. You know, it might even be sending this podcast, you know, as a starting point just to go, hey, what do you think? Let's catch up and fumble our way through it. Yeah, water's warm, boys. I'll be in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and there is, you know, the conversations that I find, you know, that's what, you know, people you know a few beers in you know it just lubricates us enough to feel comfortable to share and often we're surprised at what comes out yeah um, and again just coming back to that i really love that just even calling it the practice you know what, what are we doing to practice you know our own well-being yeah so mate i just oh, i love this chat <laughs> yeah um mate so just moving into we we kind of put a imaginary post-it note up on the whiteboard there to come back to the charity work. So yeah. I'd love to just hear about you. Know, you mentioned the North Pole and you know Costa Rica as well. We just love to hear about what's ahead for you in or what what you've done at the North Pole and then what's ahead with Costa Rica. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll give you a little um, brief about the charity. So we're based um, in Australia here out of Hunter Medical Research Institute. So there's a couple of uh, genuinely world class researchers. You know. Um, one of the professors there is a distinguished laureate professor. Now, mm. I don't know the levels of laureate <laughs> professor, but, you know, to get to a laureate professor's high, let alone a distinguished, um, amazing, amazing guy. Um, and, and there's two two brilliant leaders of, in the sort of mothers and, baby, mothers and baby space up there at Hunter Medical Research Institute. But um, we're sort of a auspice charity, so we sort of fundraise externally for them in, into, into that organisation. Um, and it, it's been super fascinating to see um to one to sort of recognize that there's this continued need and i suppose for us as we went through it you very quickly as you start to sort of either tell your story or just through general awareness realize you're not alone in this story and as i said 15 million babies globally and one million of those die every year and then in australia there's there's 20 you know, 6,000 babies that are born premature and you still got 9,000 of those mm. who pass away you know it's, that's them some big numbers and so you know you are far from alone in whatever the journey that you're having with premature birth but then equally from our end is it hasn't really been funded very well you think about the journey and the growth that that cancer has come through through research in the last 50 years and the treatment outcomes for individuals huge exponential you know you wouldn't even think of possible 50 years ago about what they can do now with cancer treatment and yet this hasn't been funded. So one, because it's not easy to fund and do research on pregnant women. Mm, <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of ethical boundaries are yeah. incredibly high yeah. associated with that. 
but also the outcome, I think, and the the economic, well, not even the economics, but the social equity side of having healthier babies and healthier families from day one is massive. Mm. You know, so from our end, we're like, our goal is to fund Australian research just to solve a global issue. You know, that's what we want to do. And we think Australian mines, we're confident, extremely confident Australian mines are as good as they are around the world. But also let's let's not look at, you know, the, the analogy of the elephant. You've got five people looking at it and one person feels the tail mm. and one person feels the trunk and one person feels the ear and they don't know what the, the full picture is. Yeah. So how do we do that on a collaborative fund? Mm. You know, so we are sitting here and the born side then clips into the UK and then they work with researchers in the US and Canada to start to work on the full picture of what it's looked like and start to talking about how we deal with the elephant as a collective. Yeah. You know, so that's sort of what we're trying to do with the charity. Um, and we're only just learning how to get the fundraising and all those sort of things. Yeah, we'll work it out. Not yet. <laughs> and But, you know, the other side of it is we've been on some pretty cool adventures. So in 2018... 20, yeah, 2018, April 2018, I went to the North Pole um, and we walked uh, the last half a degree of latitude and it's about 100K. But as a space, oh, wow, what a space. You yeah. know, like it's the best place you could ever go to feel like you're not on Earth. Wow. And Antarctica yeah. must be similar as well because the atmosphere at that end of the world is just different. Like, um, you know, like the atmosphere is a little bit thinner so at one stage, we had we were sitting there and it was a cracking day, um, and you're, you're plowing along, and all you do is walk from one ice sheet to another. Basically, uh, they're called ice flows, but they're only they'll only be a metre thick. So any one point in time, you're only a metre above the Arctic Ocean, <laughs> and they can either pull apart, and you've got open water Arctic Ocean, which we saw, yeah. or they come together and, and sorry, create mm. these pressure ridges that you've got to find a way across on cross-country skis and wow. with a sled behind you. Yeah. So it's like the world's biggest amusement park because you just set your course north yeah. and you're like, okay, well, whatever I find, i got to find a way around, yeah. which is really cool. But it's also minus 30. So <laughs> Yeah, amusement park, yeah, yeah, yeah debatable term, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. But then, you, you you know, like, so there are the threats associated with minus 30 and, yeah. you know, the ice is your saviour and also your greatest risk at the same time. Mm. So it's it's this paradox of place. But if I go back to sort of the atmosphere, at one stage we are sitting there and we had literally two suns because the sun as it exists was coming in but then reflecting off the atmosphere. Oh. So you feel like... You really feel like you're in a different world. Yeah, you know, like you've got two stars pumping in on you oh. here. Um, not warm, just light yeah. at minus thirty. But you know, it's and then there was a mere shadow of a third sun. Oh. And you're like, where else can yeah. you have this? And then also there's no animals. You know, it's too cold. So there's no there's no bacteria. Mm. There's nothing. All right. So you can you can wear yeah, you, know, you can wear the same kit you want. For fifty days, if you want, because nothing's growing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but then there's no, and so it's silent. You know, I sit on, um, yeah, I sit where I live. I live near the bush, and you wake up in the morning, and there's birds chirping and whatever road noise or whatever, and it's just <laughs> nothing. Mm. Yeah. So it's 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 again incredibly still, and, and so such a nice spot. So that was yeah, that was a cool experience. Um, and, and was and it's also diverse enough as well. And people saw it. It was it was pretty effective from a fundraising point of view. Um, and then you know, 
second to that, we're going to Costa Rica in eight weeks' time. And I've mentioned before, I need to do some serious training before I can go because uh, I'm a bit underdone. But, yeah, that would be completely different. So um, a bit of whitewater rafting and paddling and mountain biking and jungle trekking, sort of moving from minus 30 to plus 35 and 80 degrees humidity. So we're at the, the extreme ends of, of temperature range. <laughs> and the idea for the, the adventures is to bring awareness back to the cause? To bring awareness and, yeah. and also to bring a diverse group and diverse yeah. network. And, I mean, and you'll understand it from yeah. – from a charity point of view, super easy to go to your network. Yeah. But your network's only got – it's got an edge. And yeah. you get there and you feel quite burdensome asking people over and over again, can you you flip in for something? Yeah. So you sort of – if you can more people to come in, yeah. um, you, you spread the story more broadly and then you spread the network that is potential to, to fundraise upon oh, as well. Amazing. And if anyone listening, like what's the way that they can check this out? Where can they? Um, yeah, well, Instagram is probably the easiest or, yeah. um, or yeah, well, it's, it's hmri.org.au forward slash born is, yeah. is sort of the webpage. And, um, awesome. Yeah, like, we'll check that in the show notes too. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, how about the two extremes? <laughs> you know, from one end to the earth to like a very different type yeah, of experience. I, I haven't done it yet. Uh, to be fair, if it's anything like rugby, I was much better in the cold than the hot. So, <laughs> oh, very niche. Oh, God, I hate the cold. Like, yeah. Hands. I was a back in fairness, you know, just standing out there waiting for the ball. Yeah. Um, epic, mate. Um, now, just on the theme of fatherhood, um, what were some of the, like, if we just think about, you know, you, you've got, Alfie and Rupert and, you know, the the other four incredible stories that happened there too. As you move into becoming like the father that you want to be, yeah, are there any kind of whether it's key principles or key lessons or teachings that you wish to kind of embody and part on to to your family? Um, oh, man, I'm still learning is, <laughs> is the key uh, and I certainly don't always get it right. Um but a lot of it comes, and I think a lot of it comes through the people that you've seen do it as well, you know. So naturally you'll be a father similar in a way to what your father, your father was. Mm. And um, and it's, if it's, you sort of actually get a wonderful appreciation for your own parents as you try and parent yourself. And you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's sort of why they did that. And... Uh, and yeah, you know, and that yeah, you know, that's why they did that. But well, I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think for me, one is I mean, we're we're in a way we're we're fortunate that we we don't take any for granted as well, mm. and so we're in for the whole journey that 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 is. Um, but it's man, it's also hard to to not sort of put yourself onto your child, mm. um, which is difficult yep. you know it's like but also you spot these things the beauty is also you spot these things so i'm like alfie my son is um is oh yeah like he's six now he's almost seven he's sort of learning piano and he gets frustrated and, and i was sort of hearing this morning and he's banging on the piano and he's like ah and he's like you know because he got his hand position wrong and i was like mate i don't even know how to play piano so one you're well ahead of me but it's like it's like, man, it's okay to really be frustrated. And it was like, I'm trying, I'm trying my best to say, well, you know what? You know, and, and Sarah and I have spoken about the fact that we both recognize ourselves in that action. Mm. You know, so is there something I can do and say, listen, mate, I used to be like that mm. at all, all the time. Yeah, you know, like I remember hitting a ball against the wall out the front of the house and like blowing up and 
breaking the tennis racket, you yeah. know, like Mac and Rose style yeah. or Curios for the modern age. <laughs> and, you know, like, and I'm like, man, totally understand what you're going through. Mm. Not entirely helpful, but okay. Yeah. You know, maybe just step away from that situation and then come back and try again mm. when you're calmer. Or you don't have to nail it today, just come back tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's sort of how do you, how do you learn from the things that you recognize in mm. them without you sort of giving all of your yeah, foibles I, and strengths to them as well? I really <laughs> never heard it described like that. I like that. It's like, okay, the, well, the child literally is an extension of me in this context and I know that some of my attributes are in them playing out right now. So I've got to take responsibility for that and then use it as like a teachable moment. Yeah, I think that that thing is so important of just like instead of the scolding, it's like, okay, let's just slow this situation down. What's happened here? How are you feeling? Okay, what are you trying to do? All right, let's go again. Like I think those teachable moments are so important, mm. I think as, as, as you're alluding to. So, but also, I mean, the scolding, you know, let's, like, it happens. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm not a mere, I'm not the Danish parent that's calm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've read the Danish parenting book and Sarah will have a go at me because I've read it and she's like, not relevant at the moment. That Danish lessons are not relevant at the moment. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's scold, but actually someone was then like, maybe your lesson is to go and say sorry mm. and, and say, listen, I was out of Yeah, I lost it there and I, the, here's the reason I lost it and that's not right, you know, and – you know, that's the growth that maybe my, you know, that I wouldn't have had from, from mum and dad, like love mum and dad. They did yeah. an amazing job. Um, and, you know, I can reflect on that and see now that mm. that's the case. But there was never any apology for like blowing up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even in a shit in a work context yeah. or in, you know, if, with your mates or you just come, well, mate, I was out of hand. And the thing you learn actually, the parenting is when you blow up, it's all about you. Mm. It's because I've had a shit day and I haven't, I'm not in control of what's going on in mine. And man, the wire is cut and it is spraying yeah. electricity. Yeah. Yeah. And energy is going out and yeah. I don't know how to pull it in. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's okay to go, yeah, listen, I'm sorry, buddy, but that was about me. You know, or and I'm sorry, or mm. I'm sorry, and that reaction wasn't appropriate. You know, and I don't know, maybe that's I, a way I, to go ahead. Hundred percent. And we we obviously do a lot of work with with parents through the work at the man cave, and it, absolutely taking responsibility in the presence of your child is so profoundly impactful on them. It might not be real time; it can be real time, but it, it's also something like a seed gets planted and then sown over time because. What you're role modeling is the ability to take responsibility for your emotional state. And then that is something that they see. Because often so much, again, what we see on the front line with parents is like saying something to a kid is one thing, but embodying it in front of the kid is another. And you role modeling embodiment of accountability or responsibility is really powerful you know because now that child has that seed planted into their consciousness so when they are in situations they know that's an option to do you know whether it is and it's a healing moment of going yeah, yeah hey listen i'm really sorry i made a mistake there how are you <laughs> yeah it's a really it's a great little insight for yeah sure. i mean yeah i mean if you could just give your kids choice when they're frustrated or yeah god if, if i could 
you know, it, it takes a lot, doesn't it? If, yeah. if, if you're in that moment of frustration or stress or whatever it is, to think I've got a choice of how to deal with this. Yeah. And that then, you know, then can you give some tools, you yeah. know, like um, breath yeah, or, um, you know, probably not at a six-year-old level meditation beyond like 35 seconds. But <laughs> yeah, it's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, and mate, how do you, how do you like, how do we, how do we get rid of that energy? Yeah. You know, or, or negative energy or just step away. Yeah. And, you know, it's really hard to see the choice as an adult. No doubt, even harder to see as a kid. But if you could give that option, geez, I'd love to give mm. that to my sons. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really more particularly hard now with the devices that these this gen has access to. It's like, you know, because their developing brain is being hooked into something that's constantly releasing like, you know, excitement and serotonin and dopamine. And so to actually really come back to training them back into stillness or maybe it's just moments of mindfulness not the meditation yeah that's that's going to be really challenging have you how has that been navigating the devices inside of your household it's not so much of an issue at the moment but we we try and use um any any six we try and use um devices as a reward for for consistent behavior yeah and so um if you're good during the week and if you do your chores then you get some time on the weekend and do whatever you want in that time um, with your heavily restricted <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever you want in this parameter. Yeah. <laughs> Just look through that hole. Yeah, that's know, it. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and we try and do that. And, that, yeah, it's it's all of it is, you know, if you, if you say that you can have that device and uh, and the behaviour goes off, you're willing to cut it off as yeah. well because if you throw out an ultimatum, the problem with throwing out ultimatums with kids is you, and they keep pushing you, you've eventually got to drop the hammer. Yeah. And are you willing to do that as well? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's sort of how we do it. But it hasn't been a huge issue at the moment. I mean, they're so young. And, mm. and I mean, I can just walk up and turn the TV off and that's it. You know, yeah. like, um, and, you know, if there's a tanny afterwards, so be it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Mate, well, we're going to land the plane. Um, is there anything else you just wanted to share as we kind of wrap up and reflecting, you know, the Father's Day, obviously a special day for, you know, many people. But, yeah, just to, in, in someone who's been through what you've been through, yeah, any anything you want to Well, I mean, I, I think one, I mean, firstly, thank you. Uh, I listened to your podcast with, with your other guests. I, I've got a mountain from them. Um, so, yeah. I was super excited to come and I was like, oh, I can get on this and I love that podcast. And so that was, I was really pumped. So thanks for what you do for what you're doing and, and for your effort. Um, and I've been in some serious moments of toxic masculinity in my life, in sport and in changing rooms and, uh, and nights out and things like that. And um, it, the correction is required, mm. you know, and, and yeah, you get it by stepping away um, but even better, like, I mean, it's the concept of um, reactively or proactively doing mm. it and, and you're taking the proactive steps, which is hard, man. It's the 20-mile mm. march rather than the 200-meter the sprint mm. and, um, and amazing how good. Keep going. Um, and the other thing was really um, shout out for all the, for the dads that are there. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's, Father's Day is a great day. You know, mm. it's fun. But also shout out for the dads that may not have their child with them mm. or may have six children but there's only two to celebrate with them. Mm. You know, like and, and to, to the mums on that day 
as well or the families or the grandparents or the siblings or whatever because these days are times where you remember everyone, mm. you know. So it's, um, yeah, shout out to, to that crew as well. And, um, you know, and, and if, if you're ever in that circumstance, I suppose, um, the power of remembering a, a child that's not here, power of remembering their birthday or just remembering their name mm. is, is amazing. You know, someone goes, well, yeah, like shout out to Sophie Henry, Ellen Grace today and you're like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and that acknowledgement, the power of that acknowledgement is huge. Beautiful, man. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to you too, like coming in here so open to share something so deeply intimate, you know, that will help so many people and also raise awareness on something that really needs more attention. So thank you so much for that and it's been so nice to just, go from like the depth to the banter and have a bit of lightness in it too and they're the moments I think that mean the most to me and I also just want to extend it to Sarah too you know because this is her story that you know we're stepping into as well so I want to say thank you to her for you know what an amazing woman and also yeah for allowing this to kind of unfold as well and mate thanks for your backing of me you know and what we're trying to do with stuff and and by nature of that by man cave as well it's like yeah, we're, we're just trying to make a difference. And, um, yeah, I think conversations like this move the dial significantly. So thank you so much. Um, excited for the next chat we have. But, yeah, this has been awesome, mate. Pleasure. 